what happens in tomorrow world? You know, a lot of us are asking ourselves a similar question these days with all the uncertainty and kind of craziness going on in the world, but even on a local, more personalized level, we all deal with sickness, loss, death. There's some level of uncertainty that will always pop up in our lives. And that's why I'm happy to bring you today's interview with Jordan Gross. He wrote the book, What Happens in Tomorrow World. It's an incredible book. John Gordon, who wrote The Energy Bus, writes the foreword. And this book is about uncertainty. And as Jordan writes in the intro to the book, you know, there's no right way to deal with uncertainty that comes our way, but there is a wrong way. And he tells this book, he writes this book in a parable format. It kind of reminds me of a cross between uh, Bob Berg and John David Mann's The Go-Giver Books and Toy Story. It's, it's written from the point of view of toys and the little claw game at like a carnival. Really fun book, but very powerful. In fact, we're dealing with some loss in my family as I record this. And I'm going to head out to the funeral and the wake. And I'm actually bringing copies of Jordan's book uh, to leave behind for people who are are open to reading it and people who I feel may need the wisdom in this book. So without further ado, here's my interview with Jordan Gross, author of the wonderful book, What Happens in Tomorrow World. Well, Jordan, thank you so much for joining us for this, this special podcast series, Fear, Love, and Creativity. You and I had a discussion offline about uh, we've been connected on LinkedIn for a while, follow each other's con- content. And you sent me this, this new book that you wrote and I got it. And, uh, you know, we're traveling and so stuff goes to a UPS box and then it gets sent to me. And so it, it came probably a, a while after uh, you sent it to me. The book is What Happens in Tomorrow World. And I got this little book, you know, it's like a hundred pages or something. And I opened it up and just started reading it. You know, I, I looked on the back cover, I think, and my friend Bob Berg had given a quote. I saw the forward was John Gordon. And I just started reading it and I couldn't put it down and I finished it. And, and before I even finished it, I emailed you and said, hey, I'm doing this podcast series, Fear, Love and Creativity. I'd love to have you on. So Jordan Gross, thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, yes, Kurt. Thank you so much for having me. Like you said, I've been following you since probably I, I started posting content on LinkedIn in like 2019 and uh, through your podcasts and, and the content that you share, I've been really inspired. So like you said, you, you got this little book and it's this book that I wrote and I wanted to send it to some people who I know make tomorrow brighter for other people. So I just first want to thank you for making tomorrow brighter for a lot of people with what you do. So really well, appreciate, appreciate that. I appreciate that. Jordan, how old are you? <laughs> how old do you think I am? <laughs> 28. 26. 26. All right. So I was close. Pretty good guess. You've published three books? Yes. So you're 26 years old. You've published three books. So I want to start this off by saying, if you are someone who's like 40, 50, 60, and you've wanted to publish your book for like 20 years, or you wanted to do anything, and you're just sitting on it, and you think about the how and whatever, give Jordan a call, and he'll give you a kick in the ass. He's 26 <laughs> and he's published three books, folks. So kudos for doing that because oh, I know so you. many people who it's like, it's like, I want to start a podcast. Well, how long have you wanted to start that for? 30 years, you know, and it wouldn't be 30 years, but 10 years. I've wanted to write a book for 30 years. Why don't you do it? So yeah. congrats on you for writing, finishing, publishing three books. Thank you so much. Yeah. I, I've got a buddy who's got a brand called Just Get Started and that's 
that's really how I just thought of it. Just, just get started, start doing it, break it up into small chunks, you know, partialize it and, and then put something out there. And I know there's, it sounds a lot easier than it is, but that's really was my approach. It's amazing how that it works. I, I've talked to three coaches today mm-hmm. that we, we just were friends and we just kind of share stories, not details about clients, but just how things are going. And the common theme of everyone was the, even for people who spend a lot of money, the lack of consistency. And I'm like, for goodness sakes, even if you do something like half-assed, if you do it consistently, you'll yeah. make progress. You'll fall forward. It's like, just oh, do, yeah. take a half hour a day and do something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And especially if you're intentional with that consistency, right? It's like uh, every morning I go out and shoot baskets and, you know, I'm getting a little bit better because I try to see where I missed and what spots I'm missing from. And I take those shots again. So it comes up again and again and again in different parts of life. And if you just keep doing it, you keep trying at it, uh, you will see some progress. So you're absolutely right. And consistency is a great, and I'll use this as a segue to the book. Sure. Consistency for me, you know, over the last year and a half, as we record this, coming out of COVID, supposedly, we'll see what people do. But, you know, over the last year, really focusing on consistency of process has helped me become bulletproof, helped my mindset, because I focus on the process instead of the noise. Yeah. Your book comes at a time, and I think you wrote in the introduction about, you know, a lot of uncertainty, because you're in the end, your book is about uncertainty and what happens and and I'll, I'll turn it over to you to, to kind of give the premise of the book. And mm-hmm. it reminded me a lot of um, a, a cross between uh, like Toy Story uh-huh. and, uh, you know, thinking of like the aliens, you know, in the, cl- the claw, the claw, yeah, yeah, the claw, the claw, uh-huh. yeah. And, and, and like Bob Berg, Bob Berg and, and uh, John David Mann's books, the, the Go-Giver series, which are told yeah. in a terrible format, which is yours is told in. So it's really readable and, yeah. and it's a lot of fun. So can you just, it's about uncertainty, but can you set up the premise and some of the characters, the fun characters in the book? Yeah, for sure. For sure. So even before that, just coming back to this whole parable, personal development through creative storytelling is what I like to call it feel. Um, That's what, that's like where I want to be in this personal development world. Right. So as you mentioned, like Bob Berg, John David Mann, John Gordon, who wrote the forward, um, people like Ken Blanchard of who moved my cheese was a huge influence mm-hmm. for this book. Uh, Spencer Johnson, who also wrote that book. Um, that's really the vibe that I wanted to go for. I, I find that personal development and really learning in general, if there's an element of fun to it, it's more relatable. You, you can get more emotional with it and it's a little bit more memorable too. So rather than just giving my insight on uncertainty, now you get to remember these four little toys in a crane game and this giant claw coming down and grabbing them and bringing them to tomorrow world. So uh, that's a little bit of the backstory, why it's a parable. And then the story behind what happens in tomorrow world is uh, last year, March 2020, when everything just totally was up. uprooted in all of our lives, right? So I'm sitting at home in in, uh, in my apartment in New York by myself. My roommates had gone home to their families. I stayed a little bit extra in the city because my mom is, um, she has MS, so she was in the high risk category. Uh, so I was there and I just kind of dropped everything I was doing. I had literally just come out with another book a month before, but I stopped promoting that. 
And I just said, how can I help? Right. So what can I do? I could write, I could share stories. And I got this call from my grandma, one grandma who uh, she's grandma Harriet. And she was just, you know, very, very optimistic. You know, we're going to get through this. I hope everything's okay with you. You know, we, we still have the sun and we still have our loved ones and our friends and our family and everything's going to be okay. Right. So I go back to my computer to, to think of something to write. And I get another call from my other grandma, Grandma Ellie. Grandma Ellie is uh, the opposite of, of Grandma Harriet. And she says, oh, isn't this the worst thing we've ever experienced? We're all going to die. Everyone's going to get sick. This is going to end the world. Yada, yada, yada. So I hang up and I think about these two very distinct approaches to the uncertainty that we're facing in the world. One is very optimistic, upbeat, loving, caring. And the other is very pessimistic, futile, uh, everything is, is crumbling to the ground kind of feel. So then I thought about my grandpas and unfortunately they passed away, but I got to know them for 16 to 20 years at least. Uh, so I thought how they would respond in these times. And one grandpa I remember was very chill, kind of just like everything would be fine. You know, it's going to be okay. We can't do anything about it. So let's just, let's just try to approach it the best we can. And then my other grandpa, Grandpa David, was very stoic. He was very uh, sage-like in his approach. And he would have kind of been like, well, you know, uh, we don't know what's going to happen, but it, it might be good, it might be bad, but no matter what, we can, we can do what we can control in order to get through this, right? So that was the four different approaches. And then I did my lit review online and I was researching uncertainty. I found some great articles, some great other books. And then I started asking people around me in my, in my friend group and in my, my professional network about uncertainty. And I really found that my grandparents uh, portrayed these four archetypes of mindset-based responses to uncertainty. So these mindsets are optimism, pessimism, this uh, sage, stoic-like approach, and this sort of chill indifference. So there I had my archetypes, and then I just got to imagining. And uh, I've got this fun process called imaginativitation. I made up the word. It stands for imagination, interpretation, creativity, and implementation. And I sat down, and I thought of that word, and I started imagining what how could I represent my grandparents in a story that could be fun and relatable for everyone? And like you said, you know, I, I thought of a story story when I was writing the book, I thought of the, the movie sausage party, which is Seth Rogen's like raunchy comedy. I, I thought of uh, some of Bob Berg and John David Mann's work. I thought of John Gordon's work. I thought of who moved my cheese and, and all these influences just came together. And ultimately what happens in tomorrow world is this modern day fable about four talking toys, their prizes in this giant life-size crane game. And the story is about how each of these prizes who represent optimism, pessimism, sage, and, and chillness, uh, their names are Opti, Pessy, Sage, and Chill. Uh, they represent the responses that we'd have in times of such uncertainty. And the uncertainty is represented by this amazing player, Catch All Toys, who is coming in to the arcade and she's about to shake things up. Everything is going to change when she comes into the arcade. And then you get to see how things play out from there. 
It's, it's amazing. And, and to stepping back from the book a little bit to the story you just shared, you know, in the midst of everything kind of going haywire in March, 2020, you, you said you used the words, how can I help? Mm. And I think that's so key. You know, there, there's that old, you know, whenever there's a, a, a some sort of natural disaster or tra- tragedy, they, everyone on social media shares the old uh, Mr. Rogers quote about look for the helpers, you know. And, and, mm-hmm. and, yeah, and, yeah. and when you said look, look how to help, you know, we had a discussion with uh, Aaron Irvin, who's a career growth strategist, mm-hmm. um, leadership psychology. And she shared this story in terms of delineating operating out of a fear-based state to deal with uncertainty or, or anything or a love-based state. Mm. And she used the example of having, uh, she had these squirrels, she loves her garden, she loves her backyard. And she had these squirrels that were coming in and tearing everything up. Mm-hmm. And her first thing, like, and, and talking to other people, I love my yard, whatever, I'm going to go shoot the squirrels. Mm-hmm. That's the first that's like the fear-based response because it's a protection. Right. I'm going to go kill these MFers. Right, you know? right, right. But then she sat back, she took a deep breath, she yielded and said, okay, well, how can I come from a place of love to help everyone involved, to help my lawn, to help the garden, but also yeah. to help the squirrels? And she did something like she put out food and put it in a different part. Yeah. And so the squirrels were there. She didn't have to kill them. Right. And, and her idea was how can I help? Mm-hmm. Just help myself, but also help the garden, help the lawn, help the squirrels, which is what you said. How can mm-hmm. I help in March 2020 led to this book, led to some discussions, helping other people. You mentioned offline how yeah. your school, you know, is taking the book, get it, giving it to all these kids. And uh-huh. um, I think that is so key. How can you help? Because we can look at a dot on a graph when we get scared. Mm-hmm. I need to deal with that dot on that graph. Yeah. So in Aaron's, in Aaron's case, right, the squirrels. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to kill those squirrels. But what's the karmic action of all that, <laughs> right? right? And so when you apply that to the last year and a half, yeah. something goes down. It's like, and, and we're going to talk to Larry Levine, uh, who's author of Selling from the Heart, in terms yeah. of when, when, when the shit hits the fan, right? And like even from a business standpoint, I can say, no, I got to protect mine. Yeah. I got to focus on me. I got to focus on me. You play defense. You could hurt everyone around you right. just to protect what I have. Right. When you said, how can I help? Which I think is great and keeps in line with the movie. So um, yeah. how, how did you get yourself in that state? Because you're in New York City, like uh-huh. at the center of everything that was going on. Is it a natural thing or did you have to overcome your first reaction, which was, what the hell's going on? <laughs> yeah. So, so as you told Aaron's story about the squirrels, I was thinking two things. Uh, first, I was thinking about how f- that fear-based reaction is our evolutionary speaking. Like that is, that is the first response, you know, Pessy, this character in the book of, or, or my grandma Ellie, right? That is what we're going to, that's what our brain is going to go to immediately, right? And the thing is, that's okay. That's fine. You know, these thoughts, we are not our thoughts, right? I'm, I'm studying to become a therapist right now. So we are not our thoughts. You're allowed to have those thoughts and that does not represent the person that you actually are. 
You're allowed to want to shoot the squirrels. You're allowed to think that the world is crashing and burning, coming to, a en- to coming to an end. But then, like you said, Kurt, when you yield and take a moment to think about how you actually want to behave next, that represents the person that you are, right? That's when you could be opti and try to lift people around you. That's when you could be sage and pr- try to bring this calming presence to the people around you. Right. So the fear based response is the natural go to, you know, brain first thing that comes to mind type of event. But when you actually act and take a step back, that's when you bring love into the picture. That's when you bring faith and support and and uh, having this belief in humanity into the picture. So that was the first thing that uh, really resonated with me and what you were saying. And then the second thing, Kurt, is I, I think a lot about regret. Right. And when you spoke about the what's the karmic uh, reaction of when you you kill the squirrels, I, I thought of regret immediately because aren't you going to regret killing those squirrels eventually? Right. Isn't there isn't there some part of you that's going to regret not doing something else in that moment? I, I hope so. I know I know I would regret it. Right. So yeah. when I was responding to what was going on in the pandemic. Sure. I I could have stayed in my apartment the whole time. I could have just written and written 10 books and just had all this stuff to put out afterward, but I would have regretted not being an asset to the community, to my friends, to my family in that moment, right? Because I, I don't get to do that over. I don't get to go back to that response and say, Oh, I, let me just try that again. You know, because you, you can't do that. Unfortunately, we unfortunately we don't have time machines, right? So I, I never want to do anything that I'm going to regret. And one thing that uh, I mentioned in the book, one of my, my favorite quotes from the book is that I, I've never met anybody in my life who looked back on a scenario and said, I, sh- I really should have panicked more. <laughs> and I, I didn't panic enough in that situation. I, I should have been crazy. I should have been wild, you know? Yeah. So, so when I was thinking about, you know, how I wanted to show up when the pandemic occurred, it, it was as, as you said, as one of the helpers. It, it, you know, one thing I talked with Bob about the taking a deep breath, you know, he talks about that mm-hmm. in a number of his books, including adversaries into allies to avoid conflict. Mm-hmm. You know, like you said, no one also regrets. I should have yelled at that person more. I should have, yeah. I should have went off the handle more. Yeah. But one of the things Bob and I also talked about and, and Randy Gage was, you know, you said no one looks back and says, I should have panicked more. Mm-hmm. Um, but in, and it's interesting because increasingly we have panic porn, right? Mm-hmm. We have cable news, we have social media. And so it's like people, they're panic merchants trying to get you in a constant state of panic. Mm-hmm. And, and people don't even realize they're in a state of panic it just become the de facto that's their, that's like their set level right? is just panic. And they start from there. What, what, from a, from a personal standpoint, Uh how do you, um, what, what's your daily routine to kind of stay either below or above it or away from that as much as you can? Yeah. I love that question. Um, and then more generally just to respond to it, to to add to what you were saying, it comes back to that evolutionary response. I, I do believe that fear and panic is the, that's how we're originally programmed, right? So if you don't 
if you have people who are not taught to overcome that initial thought, then these media outlets, they're, they're going to make, you know, that's where they're going to make a lot of their impact is by instilling that fear in people. But that's a whole different conversation. Uh, <laughs> in, in my first book, it's called Getting Comfy, Your Morning Guide to Daily Happiness. And it is, it's not, it, it's, it's a fun very personal account of my life and, and it's about my morning routine and really my routine for the entire day for my entire life which sets me up to overcome stresses and anxieties that i might face and there's a section in that book called the no news challenge right yeah. so if you're listening try this challenge i love challenges i do monthly challenges weekly daily challenges so this one is called the no news challenge and i've really been doing the no news challenge for years now uh, the no news challenge is really simple. It is not consuming the news for basically the entire day. But then the one catch is that you still stay in the know. You still understand what's going on in the world by all you have to do is ask somebody what's going on in the world today. So in the book, I think I give the example, I was in an Uber and I just asked the Uber driver, hey, I haven't listened to the news today. Can you tell me a little bit about what's been going on in the world, right? And so many things happen. I mean, first and foremost, the excitement this person had, who's normally in a, in a position of just sort of robotic, doesn't get that many conversations, the excitement to just talk to another human was unparalleled. The second thing, to put that person in a position of teacher, and then to put myself in a position of learner, that was also really exciting and empowering for this Uber driver. They felt like they, they could really add to me in that situation. So that was great. And then the next thing is that you get, you, you don't get the news from a news teleprompter, right? You get a representation, a summary from somebody who experienced the news, right? So you get their perspective. So you get basically, you know, who they are, their story is put into it as well. Uh, and then you also learn a bit, a little bit about what's going on in the world. So I, I do this no news challenge. That's how I, as you said, stay above it. Um, I do poke through and look at like the breaking news headlines on Yahoo news. Funny enough is still my news source of choice. But, uh, yeah, I remember during the pandemic, my mom is just like all over it and it was so challenging to get her to, to stop. And I, I really couldn't, she just loved to, to be informed and that that those two words I think are so dangerous when we talk about news be informed because there's being informed and then there's being oversaturated with with what's going on and that's when the panic can really come in because that's all that you're consuming yeah we we don't allow the news in our house on tv or anything like that and and what I get, I get sort of incidentally, you know, I log on to LinkedIn and there's news in the corner and stuff like right. that. Same, same. Yeah, yeah. And and I want them to turn it off. It's like, come on. And sometimes I'll use a third party app so I don't have to see that. But we had a relative who in, in sort of a scolding manner told my wife, like, well, how do you expect your kids to form opinions and be informed? And it was such an interesting question because this particular relative is um, sort of a basket case on things. And, and, you know, and watches the news constantly to the point where you're with the kids and won't even look at our kids just on the phone and the scrolling. And, uh, and it, that was my wife's answer. It was like, there's a difference between being informed. Like we know everything that's going on. Our kids know that it's amazing. Osmosis, you pick things up. Yeah. 
But like you said, there's a difference between being informed and being obsessed and like living. The other thing is, and, and I want to ask a question related yeah, to something. And I, have one, I have one thing too, but I'm excited to hear what you have to say. Yeah, it's, uh, we're living in a world where there are different realities because someone watches Fox News for five hours a day and someone watches MSNBC and you literally, they are reporting such different realities of things that, so when it comes to asking someone, right, you run into someone, the Uber driver, do you find that you try to ask two people and somewhere meet in the middle? You know, because you may work to someone who watches MSNBC and his basket case to the left. Mm -hmm. And then someone Fox News is a basket case to the right. And yeah. then you said, okay, it's probably somewhere in the middle. I mean, how does that, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it is great to ask multiple people. That's, that's also part of the challenge. So you get different perspectives. But when you mentioned how your, your relative says, uh, how do you expect the kids to form their own opinions? I actually think and believe that when you consume too much, your opinions no longer become your own. Your opinions mm -hmm. become that of what you're consuming, right? So if you, if you grab just enough, just a little taste, that's when you can think deeper and deeper about it. So that's when you just get the couple of headline grabs, or that's when you get the couple of stories from the Uber driver or the cashier, or whoever it might be who you ask about the news. And that's when you can really formulate where you stand on things because you might get way to the left, you might get way to the right, and you'll get just enough where you can say, okay, here's, here's me. That's, this is where I want to be. That's great. I love it. I love it. The book, going back to the book a bit mm -hmm. and, and your story of your grandparents mm. and they made the archetypes of, for the book. As I was reading the book, you know, I know either where I, it's an interesting, I, I'm catching myself before I say this, but either where I place myself amongst the four behavior styles or where I fashion myself to be or would like to be. Yeah. And as I'm reading the book, it kind of dawned on me, well, I'll, I'll frame this in a question. Right. People would say, well, positivity is great, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, but then you read it and then it's the stoic and then everyone is there a good or a bad behavior style in the book? Because you don't, you don't say, you don't come out and slap, you're left to yeah. think about it. <laughs> right, right. So that's the intention, of course. That's why I tell stories is because like you are doing with this podcast, it's about leaving people with, with the opportunity to think. I think that's one of the greatest gifts we can give to people is the opportunity to think deeper right? And try to understand and, and especially try to understand based on your own story and your own perspectives. Um, to answer your question directly, I don't think there are any right answers. I don't think there's a best way to respond to uncertainty. Uh, I don't think Opti is the best. I don't think Chill is the best. Uh, you know, Pessy is certainly not the best. And even though it might seem like Sage is like the be all and end all, person who seems to know it all, I also don't think that's the best. What I can say though, is I do think that there is one response that sort of leads to a negative ripple effect. Mm -hmm. And what you see in the book is that's the pessy response. Be because that fear-based response, which continues on in the form of behavior and actions, that's when we sort of get 
the trickle down effect of one person's panicking. So the next person starts to panic. So the next person starts to panic. And then it all leads to society panicking as a whole, which is kind of represented in one of the scenes in the book. Right. So that is what I'll say about, I don't think there's a right response, but I do think there's a wrong response. So try to really steer away from that one. And then the second thing I'll say is uh, I tell this anecdote at the beginning of the book, so you you, you know it already, Kurt. But um, I I thought about times of uncertainty in my own life, and the number one example I could think of was when my grandparents sat me down at the kitchen table, and you know had a serious conversation with me, and my grandma Harriet the the opti put her her hand on top of my hand and said, "We have news about your grandfather." And then she said, Grandpa David, who's sage, has Alzheimer's. And with a disease like Alzheimer's, you know, you can't relate anything to the, to the pandemic. But in terms of uncertainty, you just have no idea what's going to happen next when you have a disease like Alzheimer's. Yeah. So when that happened, though, here were these four grandparents sitting around me at the, at the table and I expected Grandma Harriet to be Opti and Grandma Ellie to be Pessy and Grandpa David to be Sage and Grandpa Morty to be Chill. But none of them responded in that way. Instead, what they all did was get up out of their chairs, come over to me and just give me a big group hug. And they let me know that no matter what happened, things were going to be okay. And that was so comforting. It was so reassuring. So the number one message that I have is whether you are opti or you lean toward the pessy side, uh, which I say not to do, but it's okay, uh, or you're sage or you're chill. When when uncertainty uproots our lives, this this big group hug, you know, this hope, this faith, this support, and really the message that you're trying to share, this love for the people around you, that's what's going to bring a sense if you even can of certainty to such an uncertain situation, because it's certain that you have the people around you uh, who love you. I, I love that story. And you, and you write about it in the book in the, in the, uh, the pro, I can't remember the prologue or the intro. I, yeah, I, yeah, and, yeah. I forgot what it's called. Too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. And, uh, and, and it's, it's so interesting, you know, I, it, you know, that speaks also to empathy of they had those behavior styles but they, they, they put them on the shelf for a little bit because they were focused on how you were feeling. Yeah. And, you know, I was thinking, as you were telling that story, I was thinking about, uh, this would have been 2010, I believe. Okay. Uh, my mom, uh, actually, it was my sister who called me. So my sister I mean, never called me and, mm. and I knew something was up, you know, and, and she shared the news. My mom couldn't even tell me on the phone that my dad was diagnosed with cancer, a huge tumor. And uh, they said, well, you have, you have like six months. Mm-hmm. The doctor told them that. And I remember being, my, my response was anger. Yeah. At why would you tell someone that? Right. And, um, and it was interesting because my, my mom talked to me and, and, and we talked and everything. And it was so interesting. My dad lived for two years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and my dad was was a positive person, and he yeah. was, and he lived for two years, and getting through him. But, but a couple of years ago, or maybe was it last year, I interviewed on a prior podcast 
uh, Dr. Uh, Jason Dean, who's a chiropractor and, mm-hmm. and very much we, we share natural health and those types of things. And he, yeah. he, he, he used a term that some people would say, that's a conspiracy theory. There's nothing right about that. But he said uh-huh. one of the most dangerous things in, in healthcare is a diagnosis. Mm-hmm. And as you were describing that I, and, and thinking through this of the behavior styles, it's like certain things, it depends on the person in the room with you. And if you have empathy, sometimes the stoic response or the, ch- or the chill response can yeah. come off as negative. Yeah. Now, certainly the negative response, like you said, is evolutionary, which yeah. is great, right? We share that with a skunk. I mean, the yeah. skunk sprays you because of the, the fear response and survival response. We have that. If someone jumps in front of you in a dark alley, you're going to fight, you're going to run, or you're going to freeze. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But being in that state at all times, but also when you're in a conversation and, and your, you know, the story that you told, having a, in the midst of the pandemic, yeah. maybe not sharing the diagnosis or the worst, knowing that the person there is, is perhaps pessy, you yeah. know, or just a panicky person, maybe withdrawing it, your stoic response could also be a negative response. So, yeah. so I think some of those is knowing what, who's in the room with you, right? <laughs> exactly. A hundred percent. You know, my, sometimes grandma, grandma Harriet Opti is, is too Opti for Pessy and, and grandma Ellie, you know, so they'll go back and forth and then ultimately one has to give to the other because they know that they have to sort of take it down a notch for one another to really get along, right? So you, it, you're 100% right. It is about having that emotional intelligence and understanding who is around you in order to uh, best communicate with them. Uh, Sometimes a stoic response can just drive people nuts. Oh, you yeah. Know, it, yeah. It's like, just be a human right now. Be it, you yeah. know. And- well, that's why Sage is a robot. You know, it's sometimes it could be very robotic. It could be very not human to, even though it might be true, right? I, I talk about this illusion of certainty within the book, um, that certainty is an illusion. And, and like the robot actual valid response is that nothing is actually certain, right? It's 99.9999999% certain. But there's always that 0.001% chance that it won't go according to plan. And for somebody to be stoic and always think like that, yeah, that could piss the shit out of some people, you know? <laughs> so, so that is 100% right. You, you, do, uh, you do have to adapt based on who you, you're with, which is why you get to see all four and uh, try to say, okay, I need to be more like Opti when I'm with a Pessy. I need to be more like Sage when I'm in this situation. Um, so that's why the archetypes are there, not just to, of course, I want you to relate to one and think about who you are most of the time, but they're also to learn about who you can be in other scenarios. You've written three books. You teach storytelling. You are a storyteller. You know, I believe, and one of the foundations of this podcast is that our most potent superpower as human beings is our creative flow mm-hmm. and allowing it to flow. Because we, we as human beings, we're, we're, we're pretty puny compared to viruses, weather, the environment, yeah. uh, massive, you know, uh, you know, elephant, whatever. How do you remain in a state? to get your creativity flowing on such a regular basis that 
at this point, you're, you, I think three books by the time you're 26 would, would classify you as a prolific, prolific author, you know, <laughs> in the midst of going to school, doing all these things. How do you get in that state of creative flow and allow it to, to, to really, uh, well, I guess flow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I appreciate those words. And, you know, you mentioned storytelling, right? I'm a storyteller, but I truly believe the answer to your question is even more than being a storyteller, I'm a story listener. And mm. I think you are too. I, I think story listeners are people who are encouraged by and actively seek out the stories of other people so that we can better understand, we can better listen to, we can better hear the words of others so that we can use these other people's stories in order to create more of our own. So that's really what it what it is for me, getting into that creative flow is thinking about, okay, Kurt mentioned to me in our interview a story about um, squirrels. And then he also mentioned a story about watching the news. And then, you know, so so being really cognizant of the stories that you're listening to when I sit down and get into to the creative flow, that's what is going on through my mind. So story listening way more than storytelling is what's what's so important. And I think it makes a lot of sense. Well, Jordan Gross, I want to thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, we can go on and on. I'm going to put links to the book in the show notes. Your website is also jordan-gross, G-R-O-S-S dot com. Jordan, it has been a pleasure to have you here with us today. Yeah, thank you so much for this, Kurt. It was really such a great time. Appreciate Any other books in the works? Um... I'm working right now on a storytelling ebook. I want to spread it far and wide. It's going to be tips and tactics. It's called So You Want to Tell Better Stories. And uh, it's going to be, you know, some of the stuff we talked about today, but it's all about the value of storytelling, whether you are an author, a creator, or if you are a waiter or waitress, uh, a startup founder, whatever it is. So it's storytelling for everybody. Awesome. But when that it. comes out, let us know. We'll share it far and wide. We'll have you back on. Jordan, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks again.